G'day and welcome to Pillow Talk. I'm Dave Pillow. Today we're going to be talking about the Australian census, the uh, ABC and other completely atheistic, religiously dogmatic, uh, secularist leftists are uh, crowing over the result that Australian Christianity is apparently reducing in numbers. We're going to talk about the implications, the causes uh, and reflections on that entirely, although I'm not sure why taxpayers are subsidising for an opposition to Christianity uh, and cultural decline of the West, but uh, that's their ABC for us. We're also going to be talking about Australian manufacturing. Are we yet in an age where we should be uh, trying to be self-sufficient as a nation and uh, more aware of the strategic risks of relying heavily, uh, dangerously heavily, on other nations? So all of that's coming up today with an expert panel, which I will love to introduce you to in just one minute. May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Well, welcome to Pello Talk and Matthew Littlefield, thank you for joining us again. No problem. Good to see you, Dave. And also joining us from Sydney is uh, one of Australia's most wittiest uh, and enlightened satirists, commentators and writers, uh, frequently seen in The Spectator and, of course, on his own Substack channel, and that's James McPherson. James, thanks so much for joining Pello Talk today, at short notice, I might add. Well, I appreciate you having me, Dave, and uh, nice to be with you too, Matthew. Now, let's talk about the most uh, pressing news of the moment, and that is, in fact, the... um, James, I'll get you to... I don't know if you've got your article ready or if you'd like me to read it for you, um, or if you'd like to... uh, Essentially, what I want you to do is um, share with us the thoughts that you penned in the recent Spectator article um, about about the census results with uh, Christianity. Well, for me, the big news from the census result was that for the first time in Australian history, uh, Christians are in a minority. I think 44% of Australians um, identified as Christian. Uh, So that's news, and I'm sure we'll unpack that a bit later. What was interesting was the number of uh, progressive leftists crowing over the result. Mm. Um, the phrase abandoning God started to trend on social media. And um, to be fair, um, you know, the progressive left needed something to be excited about because Pride Month didn't end well um, with the US Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, <laughs> which was a bit of a downer um, on Pride Month. So I guess the census result came as a, a good result for them. Um, former journalist Mike Carpen. Uh, wrote uh, on Twitter, now that Christians are a minority group, uh, do you think they'll stop telling the rest of us how to how to behave? Um, which I thought was pretty funny considering um, it's the LGBTQ minority group who never ceased telling us how to behave. Uh, so I'm not sure he really thought that one through. Um, but the other question, aside from what has caused uh, the drop, it's, it's a 20% drop. Uh, in five years in terms of Australians identifying as Christian, uh, which is is pretty dramatic and pretty significant. But the other question that's raised, aside from why is that the case, is what replaces Christianity? Um, And I think anyone who's paying attention to the news right now understands that um, leftist ideology has many religious components to it. Um, There's original sin, um, there are the, the, the saints of progressive leftism. Uh, there are the devils of progressive leftism. Um, there's uh, no redemption, but there's certainly uh, judgment and damnation. And so uh, that's a really interesting question that none other than former Deputy Prime Minister John Anderson raised on Sky Television, saying uh, if, if you don't appreciate what the Christian faith is in our nation, um, then buckle in because uh, what comes after Christianity um, may not be so favourable. And nature abhors a vacuum. People are spiritual beings, um, inherently religious, 
And so if not Christianity, something else will fill the void. And I think there's a good argument to be made that the Christian faith has made the Western world what it is. Um, whatever comes next um, will have major implications for um, the future of society. Yeah, indeed, Matt, Christianity is the foundation of Western civilization. Um, does the decline of Christianity in popular sentiment, at least, uh, in in Australia, uh, does that lead to the inevitable decline of of culture and Australia as we know it? And what does that look like if it's already happening? Well, it is already happening. In fact, we've seen it very clearly. And like so many examples of this could be given, but I'm going to give one that's relevant to the last couple of years and just really clear. Uh, in the last couple of years, many Australians were told they don't have a right over their own bodies. They can be coerced to have something they didn't want. And the whole concept that your body is sovereignly yours actually comes from the Christian teaching. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, it actually says very clearly, our bodies are bought with a price. They're not ours. They're bought by the Lord, so they are the Lord's. And this, this actual teaching isn't just theoretical. This was the foundation basis for getting rid of slavery in Rome, yep. in Christian Rome. And so what we're starting to see in just so many ways is if you get rid of the Christian foundation of the West, you get rid of many of the things which people hold as sort of sacred to the Western view of life. Because I think James said it before, Christianity made the West. Mm. Um, and it's impacted the world in so many ways. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't pagans who, who fought with the British Parliament to get slavery overturned in the 18th century. It was, it was led by Christian revivalists, men like William Wilberforce and John Newton, who wrote the amazing hymn, Amazing mm. Grace, who was a former slave trader. So it, not, only, not only is the removal of Christianity going to bring bad effects, it already is bringing yep. bad effects. Uh, and we're seeing it clearly before our eyes. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think that probably what I, my, my initial thought on the census results is that we're not actually seeing a decline in Christianity in Australia. What we're seeing is a decline in people answering, yes, I'm a Christian in the census. And I don't think that that's exactly the same thing. Um, and there's very good reasons to be concerned about people, you know, ticking a different box and, and not identifying as Christian. That in itself presents some um, some serious threats to Western culture and the the rule of law that we value. Um, but I, I think in, it's almost a good thing that we're getting a better, accurate result. Maybe this is just the silver lining to, to a dark result, um, but I think the silver lining is that we're winnowing out uh, the... the the inauthentic, insincere, uh, liberal Christians who are Christian in name only, like they might be Labour voters in name only, simply because it's something they inherited from their parents, some kind of habit. Mm. And, and there's been plenty of cultural battles over the last decade, at the very least, if not the last five decades, in which these people have not had a scriptural foundation uh, a biblical understanding and an authentic faith upon which to base their worldview. And, and this is one of the reasons why I'm engaged in Christian voter education is because Christians actually need to have a, a better voice. But there's been so many nominal, if not fake Christians who have been speaking into these issues um, and they've not been bringing a, a word of morality or justice or, or objective truth to it. And, and so we've seen cultural decline over these years. And the slow march through the institutions has been possible uh, because Christian values have not been defended um, by authentic people with a strong faith. I, I hear Australia being described, and it's been described this way by people for a long time, with, since we saw started seeing declines in um, census number of Christians, um, being described as a post-Christian nation. But there are so many people today who don't know who uh, Joseph is, who David and Goliath was, who Moses was, wouldn't be able to name four of the Ten Commandments, uh, don't know you know, much about Jesus at all, yet a lot of them feel like they have a right to speak about Jesus. I don't think we're in a post-Christian nation. I think we're in a pre-Christian nation where most of the nation hasn't even been to Bible school. If they're rejecting Christianity, they don't know what they're rejecting uh, unless it's 
some kind of of uh, caricature that that they've bought, sold to them by the the media. What are your thoughts, Matt? Well, it's like the old joke: how many uh, animals did Moses take onto the ark? In which you respond, obviously, uh, none, because Moses never went on the ark. Yeah, it's very true. The first time, first time I was told about the uh, the lack of biblical understanding in in a, in the average Australian's life was when I was in high school. I went to a Christian school, and it was a very Christian school. And I remember one of my study religion teacher or one of my religion teachers at the time saying to me, "You know, most people don't in Australia don't know what the Bible says." Yeah. Uh, and, and I was shocked by that. And I didn't really encounter it until I started working in the secular world and I saw it. But what's interesting, and the reason I bring this up, is because I remember getting good marks um, in that religion course. And I remember one of my report cards said, uh, Matthew has a very good understanding of the Bible. And I, I always laugh when I hear that because when I was in high school, I barely read the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I had a couple of favorite passages, which I might read every now and then. Uh, and I barely, I, I hadn't read the whole thing through. But in the context of that, that classroom, my teacher considered me to be someone who knew the Bible well because at least I had picked it up and read it. And that was in a Christian school. Yeah. And so if that's the state of the church and, and Christian education, what must it be outside of that? And so the church, this is, it, it is a bit of a wake-up call. One of the good things about this is it kind of, it, it kind of gives the church a bit of a wake-up call so you can't rest on your laurels. You know, we won the we won the society once. We now have to do it again. Yeah. And so we now have to get more active in evangelism and edu in Christian education and all these things because we now got to take that that long road um, back to reaching the culture that our previous ancestors did for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, James, do you have any thoughts to chip in with at this uh, at this particular moment, un unquestioned, unprompted? Yeah, just with. What you said, I mean, there's the old expression that's been uh, used in church world that, you know, the Christian faith is only ever one generation away from extinction. And so Matt is quite right. We're having to win the culture all over again. I, I think what the census bears out is that a lot of nominal Christians or, if you like, cultural Christians are no longer identifying as such. Yeah. Um, they're still cultural Christians. Um, they still believe all the main um, uh underpinnings of the Christian faith, not the theological ones, but the values of Christianity. Um, but they're less inclined to identify that way. And that's understandable when you look at the leftist assault on the Christian faith. Um, you know, it's, it's some decades ago now that Christianity was regarded as general good. Um, then it was regarded as benign. In more recent times, the Christian faith is portrayed as harmful. If you look at, for instance, the... Um, uh, the laws in Victoria that now ban um, a Christian from, say, uh, counselling someone um, away from gender therapy or praying for someone who is uh, homosexual to um, live sexually faithful to Jesus. That's now outlawed in Victoria. Yeah. And the Christian faith is being presented not as benign anymore, but as harmful. Well, if the Christian faith is harmful, and I'm a nominal Christian, I'd probably be less inclined to identify that way and associate with something that's harmful. And we're, we're rapidly coming towards the next phase where the Christian faith will be um, uh, portrayed as dangerous. So I think that certainly affects the census numbers. It's just not culturally cool to identify as a Christian anymore, even though you might broadly share the Christian values uh, that are espoused by the church. Uh, you don't necessarily identify yourself that way. And I think that's fairly understandable. And one final comment, I think Matt's quite right. You know, Jesus said we're in the world but not of the world. And there's the demarcation between popular culture and uh, kingdom culture becomes more stark. Uh, I think it actually helps us in evangelism because the decision to follow Jesus becomes a clearer one rather than one muddied by uh, cultural issues. Yeah, look, that's um, that's actually a thought that I was uh, wanting to ask you eventually, James, that you've just hit on right now, and, and that is, uh, does uh, the social acceptance and and cool factor, the cool quotient, uh, does a high cool quotient for Christianity uh, aid or or hinder uh, efforts of evangelism and and more importantly discipleship? Um, and if uh, I think it's fair to reflect that in the in the last decade or so when there's, uh, or, or previous decades or so, when there's been so much uh, majority consensus, sentimental support for Christianity, um, that perhaps it, it's been some of the 
least effective times of evangelism and uh, gospel influence uh, in in the nation. And, and we've seen a, a correlating uh, decline in, in Christian values in the nation. Um, so, yeah, good comment. Look, it's that time in the show where we have to uh, basically, you know, say the live show is going to con continue. Uh, but this is the point at which the recording um, will stop um, for afterwards. We're actually going to delete the live show at the end of the show uh, because there's going to be too much um, politically incorrect content coming up uh, and it'll hurt our YouTube and Facebook channels altogether far too much. So good news if you're watching live, you don't need to go anywhere. You can stick with us, um, but uh, the recordings will be deleted later. And uh, at this point, if you're watching the recording, this is it for YouTube and Facebook. It's time to head over to the website where we will be able to be safe from the sensors and the embedded video from Rumble will be up there permanently, the full thing. So don't be disappointed right now. You do have to switch off YouTube and Facebook and go to the website, goodsource.news if you are watching this uh, not live, but later on delay. Um, so if you're watching the live show, thank you very much. And for all those people who are watching now or later, uh, you have the opportunity to save $100 off the Freedman Conference, which is Australia's largest pro-liberty conference. Um, and it's something not to be missed. Uh, I'm gonna be there speaking. It's a three-day conference, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, coming up in less than two weeks, the 15th to 17th of July. It's not too late to grab your ticket. It's going to be in Sydney. And I'm going to be speaking there on a panel along with Avi Yemeni and uh, Matthew Wong and uh, Damien Curry. Um, so we're going to be basically talking about independent media and alternate journalism in Australia and the need for that and, and different things. So if you are a fan of Liberty and want to associate with other like-minded Liberty supporters, get along to the Friedman Conference in Sydney, not this weekend coming, but the one after 15th to 17th of July. And you will be able to get $100 off your ticket when you use the special code just for good source listeners, source22. And the tickets you can get are AL, uh, from the website, alsfc.com.au. That's alsfc.com.au. Use the code SOURCE22, as in tomato sauce, good source, uh, S-A-U-C-E, and you will be able to get $100 off that. And um, looking forward to that and uh, catching up with any of you that happen to be able to pop in in Sydney. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Well, um, James, I guess one of the questions that I've just to throw back to you now on the topic of of uh, religious um, minority of, of Christianity in Australia, that Christians are now in the minority according to the latest census. Uh, is religion on the decline uh, in Australia or are we just changing religions? You know, I think people are inherently religious. Um, the left have defined religion in terms of a belief in divine, um, which is just their way of saying um, that they are not religious and therefore um, can't be criticised. But religion is basically your big an your, your answers to the big questions in life. Where do we come from? Uh, how do we know what's right and what's wrong? Um, what has gone wrong in the world? How do we fix it? What happens when you die? Um, your answer to those big questions frame your world and essentially become your religion. So that's why I say people are inherently religious. Um, people have a need to answer those questions and, and have some sort of worldview. And so if the worldview is not Christian, then, yeah, it will be replaced by another. And I think what we're seeing with leftism um, or woke culture is that it has all the tenets of a religious faith. There are certain confessions that um, you must um, uh, agree with in order to be seen as as one of the fold. Um, trans women are women. Trans women are women. My body, my choice. Uh, we could go on. We know what the creeds are. And um, to the extent that you make these confessions, you're recognised as a uh, upstanding member of the faith. Um, so we, we can continue talking about that. But in answer to your, your point, you're quite right. Uh, the, the decline of Christianity doesn't mean no religion. It just means a new or a different kind of religion. Matt, uh, with regards to the new religion in Australia, 
um, as James just discussed, about we're, we're essentially religious by nature, but we're just changing this to a, a covert religion which uh, might be missing a, a belief in the divine but is nonetheless carrying all the hallmarks of, of religion. Um, and, you know, secularists and radical secularists and atheists uh, may, may like to say that they're not religious, but uh, to what extent is it, is it true um, that you can define religion in, in that way? And, and is there perhaps something that Australians in particular or Westerners or people, maybe it doesn't even need to be too specific, but is there something that we're looking for that the church has, has diluted or, or removed from their message, um, which is now being satisfied by a different gospel, a false gospel? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm glad you asked this question because I've thought about this a lot. And James actually touched on this a little bit in what he said there, where people are inherently religious. And his brilliant article for The Spectator, Christianity is on the decline, but religion is on the increase, is absolutely correct. It's, 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 religion doesn't disappear because people naturally, inherently, um, want to have a belief or need to have a belief in something outside of themselves, something bigger than themselves. And for many years in, in Western history, the church provided that. And one particular thing which is really important to understand is the, is the teaching of the fear of God. A lot mm. of people misunderstand uh, what the fear of God means. And, and because fear is, is, is in a lot of contexts a bad thing, they seek to try and explain it away. Or fearing God doesn't really mean being afraid. But they're completely misunderstanding what's going on here. What, what's at the core of the concept of the fear of God, and we see this in the scriptures very clearly, but a simple way to put it is this, that which you fear will control you. Uh, and the Bible gets that. The Bible gets that if you're going to be, if you're going to follow God's laws, you need to fear him above all else. Because if you don't, you'll fear something else. And that's what will control you. And the church recognized this in the past, and they taught on judgment. And I, I wrote an article about this a, few, a couple of weeks ago where I mentioned people are inherently what's, what I call millenarian. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with this word, it's, it's, it simply just means they live in an expectation that things are going to go really bad and things are going to change. Mm. Uh, and their, their whole way of life is going to collapse. Uh, and the Christian teaching is that there's going to be this millennium period where God is going to reign. But people inherently have this idea that our civilization is fragile, that it can fall, uh, because many of our ancestors have gone through this. Many of our societies have collapsed. And what the church used to do is it used to warn people, all of these moral things you do are the sort of things which can wreck your civilization. But sometime in the last 50 years, and it's a real disappointment, the church actually stopped preaching about judgment because mm. it wanted to try the hip, uh, hip cool approach to reaching people. And so uh, there's this big philosophy in the church now that you shouldn't really, you should downplay judgment and you should allow people to see that we're really just like, you know, non-believers, but we go to church on Sunday. You know, we wear the same clothes, we do the same things, but we just have this interesting belief in this hipster called Jesus. You might remember that famous movie Dogma where they had the buddy Christ with the two thumbs up, which is a very, um, uh, Google buddy Christ, you'll see it. It's actually kind of funny to look at because that's been the church's approach. Mm -hmm. But the, con the, the people's need for this millenarian um, philosophy hasn't disappeared. In fact, what's happened is that the environmentalists have just moved into it. And they've been preaching nothing but judgment for decades now. And they've been winning people over. And actually, James McPherson touched on this a little bit before when he was talking about the religious aspects. But I just want to break it down. The Greens environmentalist propaganda is an end time propaganda. It's an end time philosophy where they are teaching that the end is coming unless we do certain things. Mm. And they actually it teach really a twisted form of the Christian gospel. Let me explain this. They have a recognition of sin, which I think James actually mentioned before. And the sin is we are treating the world badly. They have a recognition of repentance. We must turn from our coal burning, gas guzzling, energy using ways. Uh, a recognition of salvation, turn to green energy and the world can be saved. In fact, this is the mantra. If we just use electric cars and solar panels, we're going to save the world and hope of a better destiny for, for humanity. Their belief is you, you, know, you, you will own less, uh, you will do less, you will have less overall, but you'll be happy in the socialist utopia that our green policies are going to forge for you. It even presents sort of a picture of heaven, a heaven on earth, the kingdom of heaven of the green um, environmentalist philosophy. And so I don't think it's a coincidence 
that not long after the church gave up preaching about that expectation of judgment that the, the scriptures tell us to teach, that people found a way to replace it. Because as I said, people are inherently millenarian. They understand that there's something wrong with our world and they need to do something about it. Yeah. And the gospel, the scriptures, actually gives the correct answer to that. Whereas the church abandoned a lot of that teaching and the green environmentalist movement has just filled in. Interesting thoughts, James. Um, obviously a generalization. There's, there's uh, I mean, I guess the three of us would go to churches um, that preach the full gospel, including um, condemnation, original sin, and, and a, a man's hopelessness w without a savior. Um, but do you think there's, um, I guess, reflect on what Matthew said. Do you think there's some valid points there that uh, maybe the church has generally at least uh, abandoned this fear of God teaching and, and what that actually means in uh, in pursuit of uh, a new word, which doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible, winsomeness? Well, just, just to take up what Matthew said about it, I mean, everything Matthew said is absolutely spot on, but it's gone even further than that. I mean... Uh, Holy Communion has been replaced by the new sacraments of abortion and puberty blockers. Um, slavery and coal are the original sins. Greta Thunberg and George Floyd are the new saints. Um, police and whites and turfs are the new devils. Um, but you can serve your penance, you know, by saying welcome to country or by, uh, you know, mm. paying for carbon offsets or taking a knee or, or just sitting through the boredom of diversity training at your workplace. Um, critical race theory is now the gospel, so is net zero emissions. Uh, mainstream media are the new priests. Public schools are the youth groups, which is why progressives don't want Christian chaplains anywhere near them. Um, Davos is the holy city. Um, and you know, don't worry about blind faith in God. The new religion just requires blind faith in governments. Um, mm. Don't worry about singing Amazing Grace. As long as you know John Lennon's Imagine, <laughs> you'll yeah. be fine. If you agree with any of this, you'll be cancelled. It's kind of like being condemned to hell, except there's no chance of ever escaping and uh, finding redemption. So, um, you know, the human brain or the human soul is hardwired for religion and everything else is just the software that runs. And uh, so if if people are not um, following Christianity, they'll, they'll run a different kind of software. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said, uh, when you stop believing in God, it's not that you believe in nothing, it's that you believe in anything. Um, yep. which, you know, aligns very well with what St. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, um, that uh, rejecting the creator they worshipped created things and professing to be wise became completely foolish. Um, in regards to the church, I, I think we've lived through one of the most prosperous times in history and mm. much of the church preaching reflected um, the aspirations of people. So God wants to bless you, God wants to help you, um, God wants to prosper you, all of which is true. Um, yeah, I agree. Perhaps we've been a little theologically light, though, and so mm -hmm. uh, Cool Church has um, bought um, huge numbers of adherents, um, not that many disciples. And I think we've seen COVID where now many churches are 50% the size they were. Um, you know, if you've got 80% of people in church now, um, compared with pre-COVID, you're doing really well. And I think that uh, is very much the same as what the census has revealed. There's been a bit of a winnowing out of uh, people who, um, you know, uh, like the Christian message but really had not much depth. And uh, I think maybe in church we're coming back to the need to preach um, apologetics and to teach um, good theology. Now, that's a problem for pastors as well because people's attention spans are so short these days. It's funny that we started referring to preachers as communicators rather than preachers. And yeah. uh, we've got a lot of great communicators. Um, but let's face it, um, uh, Anthony Robbins is a great communicator. Um, mm. I think the day and age we're living in is the requirement for preachers who now know how to um, unpack the word of God and teach it such that it forms a deposit in people's hearts that they can actually live it and it creates convictions they can take to the bank. Um, so I, th I think there is a change required now of churches which reflects the, the mood of the age and the, the culture that we're living in. Let me um, press you, James, for, I guess, um, I guess thinking out loud 
collaborative thinking and wondering together um, what kind of change is is needed here and, and you've led large um, numerically successful uh, churches with multiple locations um, if you were still in that role and, and leader of a, a significant church with let's say any number more than a hundred um, what kind of essentials would you be look, looking for in or, or trying to pursue I mean feel free to be personal or, or generic um, reflecting back on I guess on the way you did operate um, or the way churches generally operate that you're aware of what kind of adjustments in course and, and recalibrations should we be looking for now in our own preaching um, or in in those of people we invite to share the pulpits that um, we might have that that um, opportunity to invite over it's funny you know last easter um, i went to three or four different churches over the easter weekend and honestly if i heard one more sermon talking about the resurrection as a metaphor for new beginnings um, I think I'd probably choose a different religion. Um, I expect the Career Mail or the Daily Telegraph to run an editorial at Easter calling the resurrection a metaphor. Um, and of course, it, it could be a metaphor, but essentially it's not a metaphor, it's a historical event. Yeah. And um, what I think that uh, preachers ought to have preached over Easter is how do we know the resurrection is real? How do we know it actually happened? What confidence do we have in it? Um, I mean, the Apostle Paul was the one who said, if Jesus rose, then, uh, of course, we have great hope. But if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then um, then all of this is a waste of time. And yeah. I, I think people in their workplaces have been continually assaulted um, with attacks on Christianity, whether from workmates or from the media. Uh, so people need a good defense of the Christian faith. And so I, I think that we need to provide people with that. The faces in the pews might be the same, but the people are different. Um, the world has changed. And so that aspirational, and I'm not saying we oughtn't preach an aspirational message, but I think in strong theology, and we've got to be preparing people for the world that exists now, not the world that was. We've entered into a period of constant um, change and upheaval of rolling emergencies. If it's not COVID, it's the monkeypox. If it's not the monkeypox, it's war in Europe. If it's not war in Europe, it's inflation. If it's not inflation, it's war in the Pacific. I think over the next decade, we will have rolling crises and emergencies. Mm. And people need to be taught how to put their faith in God, uh, whether they're doing brilliantly or whether things are going badly. But the aspirational gospel didn't do that. It, it left um, people with a very shallow faith that won't sustain them during tough times. Um, of all of that is that we need to structure our churches for upheaval. Um, you know, when, when the government declared that we weren't allowed to hold services anymore, a lot of churches were caught completely uh, by surprise and uh, had no way of continuing to disciple people or continuing because really about the event, bring everyone to the event, um, the preacher will um, do his thing and that's a model. Now, it was working very well until all of a sudden that model wasn't available and there was no alternative. So I, th I think wise church leaders are recognising uh, happened once. We ought not suppose it won't happen again. It may happen soon. Governments have shown they're not averse to shutting things down. Um, and it might not be a plague. It might be something else next time. Next time will invariably come. What have we learned and how have we restructured so that we can quickly pivot uh, and the church church leaders should certainly be considering right now? Yeah. Matt, um, what period in history, uh, acknowledging that uh, the church goes through seasons, there are, I don't want to use the word trends because I, I think they're actually not so fickle, but periods of, of I guess, growth, where it's like we, we, we're climbing a summit and then we achieve the plateau and then we perhaps forget some of the lessons or, or we're ready for new lessons. And, and so we're, it's, it's like there's a progressive revelation by which the church is, is I think, getting more and more grip on what God wants from, from us. Um, and part of that, and the humanity and frailty of humanity, 
is that sometimes we forget some of the lessons that were learned in previous generations. Um, what period in, in church history do you think we had the message right, which is now most relevant and most effective for where today's culture is at? Uh, what, what kind of preaching content um, and, and doctrine um, was majored on in church history, which we need to major on again? Uh, well, that's a, that's a fascinating question. But my, my initial response is to think back to the early church and argue that we're going through something very similar to what the early church experienced. And you're going to remember, uh, you mentioned before, are we in a, a pre-Christian era or a post-Christian era? And I mean, technically, we are in a post-Christian era because there's vestiges of Christian teaching. But as you pointed out very correctly, some people have just never encountered it. So they themselves are pre-Christian. Mm. And that's actually not very different to the way the Roman Empire was when church flourished. Because people forget Christianity came out of the Old Testament religion of Judaism. And you read this in the New Testament. In fact, they mention, I believe it's in Acts 15, and they say, we know well, the law of Moses is taught everywhere. And so people have a basic understanding of what the word of God says. But we've got to we've got to now share, show them how this applies to the Gentile, and so the early church was sort of in, in this culture which had an understanding of who God was, but tried to fit him around all these other gods. Now, does that sound very different to today? No, no, it's very similar. Very similar, and really, um, what the church did. Well, actually, this is touching a little bit. James sort of went there, but I just want to make it uh, point it out, point it this way. What the church did is it took its beliefs seriously. And it applied them seriously. Mm. And because it took them seriously and applied them seriously, and, and Christians were willing to hold to their faith when facing lions in the Colosseum or wow. whatever challenge it was, people were won over to that. One of my favorite examples, and I've shared this, I believe it's in Fox's Book of Martyrs. I think it's her name's Blandina, but it might have been one of the other women who's mentioned. And she's being tortured for her Christian faith. She's being tortured. She's she's she, you know, she's in suffering. But she held up under suffering so much, one of the Roman centurions who was part of her, one of her tormentors laid down his weapons and stood with her. And this didn't happen once. This happened on many different occasions because these hopeless pagans saw that the hope these Christians had was so real. Mm. And one of the problems that the church has had for the last, couple of, last few decades is we've wanted to downplay our religiosity downplay our Christian uniqueness, downplay our Christian identity and try to fit in. And, you know, oh, that Christian thing is something we, we kind of keep hidden a little bit, like the light under the... Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I really think is going to win people over is, is something really simple. And we can all do it. It's just be open and strong in our Christian faith. Don't don't be embarrassed by being religious. Right. Don't be proud like a you know like a uh, like a like a sinner. Or, or we're all sinners, obviously. But you get what I'm saying. Like a Pharisee, but be open about it, and and be be joyful in it, and be joyful in the suffering that's going to come with that. Because I'm telling you, it is coming. Yeah. James mentioned before in Victoria, it's illegal to now pray to help a homosexual repent of their sin. That is illegal in Victoria, in Australia, in 2022. I believe the law came into effect either earlier this year or late last year so but it was the early church who was willing to take this on board yeah and 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 really this isn't just true of the early churches period this is true of the of the christians who who evangelized the anglo-saxons these benedictine monks they're brilliant they would just move into a pagan area they would set up a little community they would get to know the leaders of the community and say look we're going to do this little monastery over here uh, and we're going to offer services to people that we need help in the community, prayer and all sorts of stuff. And you read Bede's Ecclesiastical History, which is a famous church history book, which talks about how these monks actually helped win over the Anglo-Saxon culture. And it actually explicitly notes in this book that it was because the pagans saw how dedicated they were to what they believed. Mm. The Christians were willing to follow through on the beliefs. They weren't just... Uh, they weren't just saying it they weren't just tacking it onto their life it was central to their identity and coming back to the greens movement let me ask you this question is there any radical environmentalist who's embarrassed by their radical views i mean some of them will talk openly about population depopulation of the earth some of them are that radical but they talk about it openly they're not embarrassed about it at all yeah. now in the 1960s and 70s when they were a fringe movement people looked down and well, what did they do they stuck to their guns they stuck and now they're dominant in the culture 
And that's actually an, 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 a very similar to what the early church did. It's what the, the Benedictine monks did in England, and it's what we can do again. It's very simple. We just need to take seriously what we believe, put it into practice. As James said, we need to be able to equip people to be able to defend their faith for the challenges that are coming ahead. But all the apologetic arguments are important, and I believe that's all important. I agree with James 100%. But at the end of the day, the most powerful thing is see us put it into practice and, and be willing to suffer for it. And that's one thing Australian Christians are not good at. Oh, so true. Suffering is is not something that we want to do. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I was preparing for a message I preached yesterday and and had the privilege to read Hebrews 11 again. And and it's full of inspiring people who lived a life of faith, obeyed God and and saw God's promises fulfilled. And then at the end of the chapter, it, re, it, it regards as equal heroes, those people who believed God, trusted in him, counted him faithful and did not receive what they were believing for did not prosper, did not get healing, and were persecuted and martyred for their faith. Um, to hold strong in that is, is something I, I really don't want to be discomforted by God in, in testing me for, um, And but I pray that I'd be faithful um, if that test and, and trial came because that really is exactly what we're staring down the barrel of now that Christianity's uh, no longer cool. Uh, James, some more thoughts from you on this. You know, I, I think this is one of the greatest to be able to win people to Christ because uh, people are coming with serious questions, not just does God want to bless me and, and help me get a bigger house, but what the hell is going on? Um, I've had a number yeah. of conversations in the last few months with um, media and political people who say to me, we're no longer atheists, we're not yet Christians, but we're open for the first time in our lives. Um, a couple of very prominent um, Australian journalists have just started going to church. And when I asked them, why are you going to church? Because we've always been able to explain the world um, through our political understanding, through our cultural understanding our lives. We just cannot explain what the hell is going on. It doesn't make any sense and it doesn't fit into any of our pre-existing paradigms. So we'd go to church and see if they can explain it to us. Um, I've had other people say for the first time in their lives, they believe that evil is real. They've watched what's been happening around the world. And it's not just, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to be deliberately facetious here, but it's not just Bill Gates or Klaus Schwab or a couple of people in Davos uh, coming up with sinister ideas. They say, you know, what's happening in the world, it's, like, it's almost like there's a war against humanity. And, and you can't just put it down to some weird conspiracy theory of a few uh, sinister people. There, there is something going on that is um, spiritual and it's evil. And so we are exploring Christianity in a bid to understand. And, and I think um, a lot of the, the secular people that I speak to, that's where they're at. And so when they come into church and get a message of, you know, live your best life now, um, that's actually not helping them. They've actually got serious questions about the big issues in life. And, and all of those questions are answered in Scripture. Um, so I, th I think there's a wonderful opportunity if the church doesn't but preaches to what exists right now in the world. Um, there's a great opportunity for people who have never um, opened their minds to spiritual things before but now are. And um, it, it could be our greatest season of soul winning. And, and these people will make mm. wonderful Christians because... They're not coming um, to Jesus, um, uh, you know, uh, in search of a life coach. They're coming. And so these are great days for the church if we, if we respond well. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I think it is a season of opportunity for us. Um, let's change topics and move on. Uh, we've got probably about uh, 10 to 15 minutes left um, in the hour. Um, and one of the things that I think is... Uh, moving away from religion altogether, but uh, I mean, the census is, has provided a great opportunity for us to, to talk about it and everybody else is. So it's great to have um, your two gentlemen's perspective on it um, as well. And James, thanks for the brilliant article. In fact, there was there was more on that that I wanted to, to talk about, but uh, it's quite deep and profound. And I think we've covered what we needed to today. Uh, I want to talk about now though, about Australian manufacturing. Um, part of uh, the, I guess you could call it new religion, but certainly the, the modern belief system is that uh, 
is that multiculturalism is a inexhaustible good um, taken to its very extreme. There's nothing but uh, bounty and blessing for the nation in multiculturalism. And part of that has been uh, distinct from globalism and, and maybe bleeding into globalism, but distinct this, this concept of internationalism, uh, whereby we're a, a global community and it's okay for Australians to specialise economically uh, or industrially in the skills that our education system, geography, climate uh, and, and culture lends itself to. Meanwhile, relying on, on other nations which specialise in different areas uh, in the areas where we're declining. A classic example would be vehicle manufacturing. We're more than happy to outsource. Um, I mean, I don't want to pay $150,000 for Toyota Camry because that's the cost of labour and manufacture to make it here in Australia. I'd rather it come from a, a nation which can do it economically uh, for a third or a quarter of that price. Um, likewise with T-shirts. We're happy to get our T-shirts from China because they can do it half as much um, than when they're produced here in Australia. Uh, and, and the concept is generally that the consumer wins and we always win when the consumers get the, the best. There might be some downsides, some Australian jobs are lost, but the greater good is that many more people uh, as consumers will, will win overall. Um, a protectionist market definitely can have some liabilities. Uh, the, the same uh, incentives aren't there for safety and efficiency if there's no international competition, um, for example, in the manufacturing of a car. And, and so an, an open market um, can have a lot of advantages. But there are some downsides to how this has all gone. Uh, there are some big downsides to this kind of internationalism and economic specialization. Matt, um, your thoughts on this? Um, you've written about this and researched on this a fair bit. Uh, where does this potentially take us as a nation if we keep following this path of internationalism and multiculturalism to its inevitable conclusions? Yeah, so uh, it's, an, it's a, a fascinating and a very large topic. And I'm just gonna start by asking you a question which I'll answer at the end. And the question is, which country has had the best performing currency this year? Uh, some of the cheapest energy prices and, and cheapest resource prices uh, and cost of living expenses. Now I'll answer that question at the end of our discussion because it's gonna illustrate this point. The problem, the, the, the benefits of, of, of specialization is basically everyone can get richer a lot easier. That's what it comes down to. It's, it's, a money, it's, it's money at the, bottom, at, at the core of it. If, if each country specializes in, in particular either goods or services or products, you know, you've got cheap labor in this country so they can make this product for this country at a much cheaper price, then this country over here, which, which makes money off this other industry, can afford to buy it at a cheaper price. Therefore, as you said, the argument is the consumer wins. The problem with this whole structure, this whole interconnected supply chain, which we are reliant on, particularly for Australia, this is very relevant for Australia, is it's okay when things are good. But when things start to go bad, what's the, what's the natural inherent activity of a government when things are going bad for their country? They wanna make things better. So they wanna keep more things, they wanna make things better for their citizens and, and prioritize other countries less. Hmm. Now we're actually seeing this happen right now. Sorry, just to fix this. We're actually seeing this happen right now because of the last couple of years, we've had constant shutdowns of the economy for foolish reasons. Lockdown after lockdown after lockdown. And we were told this was all for a certain reason and it was going to be good. Now, whatever the reasons were for it and the foolishness behind it, it failed to account for the fact that supply chains are not like a computer. They're not like a, they're not like a TV. You can't just turn them off and turn them back on again. In fact, some computers aren't even that reliable. We've all seen that. Yep. <laughs> they are very complex structures and very complex uh, systems. And if you turn off a, a couple of things, say point A for too long, then things at point B and point C and point D start to really struggle. And sometimes you can't turn point, back on, point A back on again. And what ends up happening is, well, to break it all down, you're now paying $50,000 for a Ford Falcon with a couple hundred thousand Ks on it that's not worth it. Why? Because you're not making stuff locally. And the pitfalls of this uh, are manifest. And the early pitfalls which we're going through right now, and we're all seeing this, is the increase in cost of everything. 
because to get a car now, we no longer make cars here. Now we have all of the resources in this country naturally to make any kind of car we want. We have the intelligence to do it as well. But when you don't do this, when you actually make yourself reliant on other nations, when things go hard, then suddenly you can't get it. I was just reading this morning, uh, Toyota is canceling all, uh, all Land Cruiser 300 pre-sales now because they're not going to be able to fulfill their orders they already have for four years. Wow. So the flow and effect is a, a 200 series Land Cruiser, some of them are going for like $200,000, which you could joke is like a house loan, except it's not anymore, is it? No. That's only a fraction of a house loan because this <laughs> supply chain crisis is feeding into our house prices. So the problem is in the short term is people, you, you get richer really quick. You get richer really quick with an interconnected supply chain when you can do everything everywhere. You can get the cheapest stuff from wherever you want it from all of your suppliers. But when things are good, that's what happens. When things go bad, when wars are happening in the north or there's viruses or there's any other kind of crisis, then things not only become expensive, you start to not be able to get them. Now, where this is going to end up for our society, I don't know. None of us do because we don't know the future. But Australians, we tend to think of ourselves as sort of like this little hub of, 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 of the center of civilization. But we're actually not. We're actually a very small population far away from the centers of civilization in Europe and Asia and the Americas. So the countries which are on the periphery of civilization are always the ones that suffer first because they're the furthest away. Now, we see examples of this throughout history. Roman Britannia was no longer able to get the stuff they need to sustain their civilization. It collapsed. You can look at the Southeast Polynesian islands of Pitcairn and Henderson, which collapsed when their dominant islands started to struggle. The Roman Britannia, sorry, just to clarify, you, I don't want you to gloss across this. You're saying the United Kingdom, the British Isles, when it was occupied by the Roman army, was too remote to be sustainable. What happened is, is that right? yeah, effectively what happened is Roman Britain in the, the first couple of centuries of the first millennium, so just uh, from AD 50 till about AD 350 was, was just like Australia in a lot of ways compared to America. You, you, you would live the same in Roman Britain as you did in Rome. You would eat the same foods. You would drink, use the same pottery. You would live in the same houses. You had Roman baths. It was just like civilization. But as the Roman Empire started to constrict and have to pull in because it could no longer fund their soldiers everywhere, uh, they weren't able to get the supplies to Britain that they needed. The trading networks started to fracture. They started to break. And eventually, it collapsed completely. Uh, and it took a couple of centuries for it to disappear completely. But eventually, people actually forgot that certain cities were actually Roman cities. Uh, and so Australia is very much like, I would argue, like Roman Britain. We've got all of the trappings of European or, or, or American civilization, but we're actually on the periphery of it more than we realize. And the crazy thing is, and this is what bugs me so much about this issue, and this is why I'm passionate about this, well, not only reason, but there's not a resource in this country that we don't have to make whatever we need. We can make it all. <laughs> we have the intelligence. We have the history of being able to do it. And whether by incompetence or wickedness, our leaders just seem to show none of the will to do it. Australian society could be self-sufficient. Now, I came back, I asked this question at the start. Which country has the best performing currency, the, uh, decrease in energy prices and fuel prices and cost of living expenses? And that country is Russia. I bet you didn't know that, that the Russian economy is actually performing very well. And the reason that is, is because they prepared to be cut off from America some time ago. And so they started making everything and sanctions kind of motivated them to do that. But because they were pre-prepared, they're actually doing all right. They're paying less for fuel there than we are here. Now we have oil. Mm. We used to have refineries. And uranium. And uranium, exactly. We could have energy into the millennia. Yep. But our politicians are not willing to use it for ideological reasons. And when you study the collapse of civilizations, you'll actually see it's often for ideological reasons they collapse, not always just practical ones. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating study and and topic, and I, I think there's, uh, I mean, it, it's there's so much of our modern society, uh, like we talk about the decline of family and and femininity and traditional gender roles, and 
and, and some of those things, unscrambling that egg is incredibly complicated, not impossible, um, and, and probably will need to happen in isolated pockets and silos of communities uh, before it will infectiously spread overall. But it's the same economically. Uh, I mean, the, the cost of energy alone in Australia is a massive disincentive to local manufacturing of cars. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, the cost of unionised labour uh, in Australia to the car manufacturing industry is so ridiculously disproportionate to the value that they bring to the table that it, it alone, um, let alone together, mm -hmm. is a massive disincentive uh, to the cost. You know, the the way we have been structured and 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 organised uh, is a result of bureaucracy and idiocy and short-term governments with short-term visions and short-term accountability. Uh, there's so many aspects to unscrambling all this. Um, but I think if there's anything we've learned over the last three years since 2020, uh, you know, two plus years, um, it is that we are strategically exposed, pants around our knees yes. and, and hairy white buttocks in the breeze, um, ready for a spanking by any nation um, because so much of our essentials uh, come from overseas. We, we, you know, it took a long time for us to get sufficient surgical masks to meet demand, mm -hmm. let alone hand sanitizer. We had to retool so many other industries and workshops and factories and machinery to just deal with a couple of months without a fast ship from China. Yeah, uh, it's it's insane. I mean, the arrogance of, I love our country. Like, you know, I love the fact the Aussie flag's behind me. I'm very patriotic. I love this country. But the, the foolishness and arrogance of our leaders to sanction Russia right now and not foresee the fact that their biggest ally, China, could return that on us in the near future. And mm -hmm. we're reliant on China for pretty much everything. They're our biggest trading partner. They invest a lot. Not, they don't own the most land here. I think America does, but they invest a lot in land here. The ability for them to shut off our economy overnight is incredibly, incredibly um, powerful. They could do it very easily. And so Australians have kind of went... Our leadership, at least in this country, doesn't to me it doesn't seem aware of our precarious situation. And I actually think it's not unrelated to the the topic we were talking about before this decline of Christianity, because part of the Christian understanding of the world is that we are created to subject the earth, and the resources are there for us to use mm. and to bless. And we got to use them in a wise way, and, we, and and you do have to use them sustainably because you don't want to run out. That's that's all part of wisdom. Agreed. But the modern paganism which we're talking about is it wants us to shun them completely. Yeah. And just leave everything in the ground. Yeah. And that's a very pagan worldview. And it's one of the reasons why no pagan civilization ever advanced to the level of technology of Christendom. It's just it's just a fact. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Brilliant. Thank you for that topic. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Uh, I'd like to thank our guests, Matthew Littlefield. Thank you very much for uh, for joining me in the studio as you as you do so regularly. It's great to have your contributions and, and thought there. And also to our special guests uh, live from his Sydney studio, uh, James McPherson. James, thank you so much for your writing and uh, continuous commentary into Australian society and, and your thoughts on Pillow Talk today. Good to be with you guys. And thank you very much to the supporters, the people um, who watch The Good Source. Uh, now, this is completely free. There are no paywalls. Nobody's uh, you know, got a hand pinned behind their back asking them, to do anything, but uh, so many people generously and voluntarily uh, put their hand in their pocket and, and give a regular amount, 10, 20, $50 a month, just to help continue this work, which is a full-time occupation. Um, and uh, we're looking to increase that, employ uh, technicians, producers, uh, researchers, journalists, and, uh, and make sure that we can uh, grow a strong and, and vibrant, uh, intellectually honest, independent media here in Australia. Uh, talking about Australian and global news. Um, we uh, thank you very much the, to the Good Source supporters and uh, all the viewers, thank you as well for uh, being part of making this possible. If you'd like to become a supporter, if you'd like to share our articles, again, a valuable uh, level of support, the videos, etc., that we're producing, then just head to goodsource.news. At that website, you'll be able to see the recent um, uh, articles, uh, videos, and, and podcasts that have been made. 
uh, and you'll be able to share them from there. Of course, the website is the only place you're going to get the full-length videos without any censorship uh, and uh, without any kind of moderation at all by big tech Silicon Valley oligarchs who like to dictate uh, our opinions and tell us what we can and can't discuss. Uh, here is where you're going to get the fact checkers fact checked um, and appreciate uh, you being part of that just by sharing it around. They can't censor all of us distributing and dispersing this information. Make sure you check out Matthew Littlefield's uh, YouTube channel, Based Christian History, as well as James McPherson on jamesmcpherson.substack.com. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. And thank you very much in the meantime for watching. Today, we need a special kind of courage, not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future. <laughs>